Welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. We're brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission. Here's your Wenting's word of the week. It is sweat. Mention that word to Bruce or any staff member the next time you are at Wenting's and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wenting's word of the week is sweat. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With the race season here, it's time to get serious with your training. Maximize that time investment with effective workouts and get the support you need from a human, not a fitbot. TriJoy can help. We'll meet with you face-to-face to discuss your goals and make a plan to achieve them. Email me for your free in-person consultation. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See our link at the bottom of this page. On the program today, time to laugh as we do another episode of Fit Flops, a lighthearted look at the shadier side of health and fitness. We'll introduce you to the miracle pill called Exercise in a Bottle. But first, we here at FitSpeak are never afraid of going off the deep end into fitness and endurance sports. We've done interviews with people like Chad Bentley, the North Vancouver guy who did five Ironmans in five consecutive days. We FitSpeak with Megan Hakkinen from Kelowna, who did a 24-hour bike time trial race in Death Valley. This time, we get into the world of endurance swimming. Out in the Okanagan every August in Peachland, there's an event called the Rattlesnake Swim. It's a 7-kilometer plunge that takes athletes from, yes, Peachland, around ah, Rattlesnake Island in Lake Okanagan, and then back to Peachland, a distance of 7 kilometers. That is, if you swim it straight. There's another ultra-distance swim held in the Okanagan the day after the Rattlesnake Swim. It's nearly 5 kilometers longer. The Skaha Lake Ultra Swim has been around in one way or another for decades, and most recently it's been resurrected by Matt Hill, Chad Bentley, and Steve King. The event used to have two or three dozen people doing it, but in recent years has become super popular and has sold out. One of the people doing the Skaha Lake Ultra Swim this August, for his very first time, was Calgary's Pat Landamore. Now, Pat's not your typical jock, and he's just as likely to be found behind the microphone of a ham radio or behind the wheel of his 700-horsepower hot rod Mustang as he is to be found in the pool, smashing out those crazy distances required to complete an ultra swim. In our interview with Pat, we'll find out about his motivations for doing that swim, his athletic background, as well as his journey to the finish line of the ultra swim. And welcome to another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines, along with first-time Skaha Ultra Lake participant and finisher. With us in our studio in Penticton is Pat Landamore. Pat, welcome to FitSpeak. Well, well, thank you very much, Kevin. You're looking very relaxed today. Why is that? Uh, I'm one beer in, and i am done the iron swim, and I've had a very relaxing day on the beach. Chilling in the Okanagan sun, what better way to spend a beautiful uh, August afternoon here in Penticton. Yep. And the fat tug can only add to the uh, mellowness of the moment. Exactly. Well, uh, let's talk about your achievement, uh, which you did in the water yesterday. But before getting into that, let's talk a little bit about um, growing up as a kid in rural Alberta. Where was home for you? Torrington, Alberta, which is about uh, six 
50 to 60 miles north of Calgary and then about 30 to the east. So once upon a time there was a television show called Hee Haw and they would salute the small towns in America. So if uh, I was Buck Owens and you were Roy Clark, we would go Torrington, Alberta, population... 150. Salute! Yep. Okay, 150 people. What was it like growing up there as a kid? Well, I, I grew up two miles south of Torrington on a farm. Mm -hmm. So we were even only into the village some days a week in the early days after my dad bought the farm in 1969 because his first crop was frozen out a few weeks after he purchased the farm and seeded it and he had to reseed the entire thing with 12-foot equipment and a 1939 tractor and we basically had to harvest our crop the next year so we were very very poor for the first couple of years so we didn't go anywhere if we didn't have to just really tied to the land all financially for sure yeah and and physically and spiritually too so going to school um in torrington or yeah, something till grade close to nine, till grade okay. nine. and what sorts of things did you do to stay active as a kid i other, oh, I, I guess I was about eight years old when my mom bought me my first bicycle or we bought it together with the three-speed rear hub shift and I loved riding that thing. Other than that, I wasn't active other than working on the farm, stacking bales, driving tractor, doing whatever my dad needed on the farm for a buck an hour in my summer holidays and I wanted things. They were kind of expensive as a kid because I was into ham radio and those weren't cheap. So I put in a lot of hours like at 10 or 12 years old sometimes I was working 10 hours a day wow so you were leaning out and bulking up as a kid and uh, any any sports you like to do and were you any uh, part of any sports team in no, high school I wasn't part of any sports team at all I was the kid that was everyone fought over to not have me on their team because I had bad eyesight bad coordination and they would actually scrap with the gym teacher over who had to take me. Oh my goodness, but size-wise you were probably up there, right? No, I was very, very tiny because mm. of a kidney deficiency I had until I was age 13 that was repaired by surgery. Oh, wow. But yet you got into this crazy thing of uh, endurance sports and doing the Penticton uh, Skaha Lake Ultra Swim yesterday. So things must have changed. Um, what got you into endurance sports, period? Was it running or yeah, what? Yeah, so basically from the time I was 17 or 18 till the time I was 29 or 30, I was a one to two pack a day smoker. Two packs on Ranchman's, which is a, uh, a cowboy bar in Calgary evenings, one day, one pack a day, most other days. And at some point I got sick of smoking. And the thing, the interesting thing was late at night, if I'd been out for a few drinks and was trying to prepare to drive home and I felt wow, maybe I should work a bit of this off first. I just felt like this giant hand pushing me in the middle of my back, forcing me to run. And huh. I started running and I felt that running felt good. So I managed to quit smoking about six months the first time, started up again. And then the second time I quit, I believe it was either spring of 1990 or 1991, I quit smoking and really, really started running. And then a year later, I ran my first marathon. Well, that's a that's a quick learning Still curve. Still my fastest marathon, too, 319. 319. So how old were you at that time? 32. Okay, well into your 30s. And before that, just a, a life of uh, labor on the farm and yep. then some other things. Yeah, and just hard work at the shop and, mm -hmm. and 
just generally work. I was so work focused. It, I was stupid, but hmm. that's another story. So why the crazy marathon to get things started? Was that your first race? It was race my third race. Distance? So okay. at about six months from quitting smoking, I did the New Year's race in Calgary, which was actually run at midnight at that time. Then I did the police half marathon, which I ran 134.02 for my first half marathon ever. How'd you manage that? Stop smoking, I guess. Yeah, stop smoking and a lot of training in <laughs> yeah. youth, I guess. Mm. And then um, they, the, and that this police half marathon in Calgary is actually as close as I know my one-year anniversary or my yearly anniversary of quitting smoking okay. because it's always the last Sunday in April. Mm -hmm. So then Calgary Police Half Marathon at that time was, or the Calgary Marathon was during the stampede right, at that yes. time. So it was a year and a few months, and that was my 319. That was in Calgary in 92, you say? 92 or 93, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you decided to dabble with this triathlon. triathlon thing. That was about two years later. I what was, was the kick to, in the pants? I was trying to work up to a three-hour flat marathon, stress fractured badly, bought a mountain bike, started riding the mountain bike wow. on the gravel roads at the farm on the weekends when I wasn't working on the farm, and found bicycling. And the kicker was I saw this magazine cover of Mark Allen in the finishing shoot of the Nice Triathlon, that classic cover shot where he's got kind of those cool-looking taper point sunglasses, and the finishing shoot is reflected in his sunglasses. Mm. And it's like, I, I looked at car magazines and running magazines. Yeah, because you're a big car guy oh, as well. Huge, yeah. huge into cars. So I saw this magazine with Mark Allen, and I went, that looks cool. And I mm. started reading the magazine, because I was also a subscriber to Runner's World at that time, mm. and I'm reading Ambi Burfoot. He's like 50, and he's whining, oh, a 25-degree marathon is too hot. <laughs> it's too much for us old guys. And here's these triathlon guys talking about peeing in their wetsuits <laughs> and running a marathon at 3 in the afternoon mm. when it's 35 degrees. And I went, these people are cool. <laughs> I want to be like them. Mm -hmm. And that was the kicker. So what was your first triathlon? Uh, my first triathlon was a sprint distance. It's a little lake on the west side of Calgary. I've forgotten the name right mm -hmm. now. And uh, it was like a 600 meter swim, which I panicked in, pulled back together, 20K bike ride, 5K run. And I think I finished in under 110. So I really wow. killed that sucker yeah. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And then my next race was Stony Plain Half Ironman. So you went from a sprint to a half, half Ironman. Ironman. And I finished in 459 something for my first half so Ironman. Your very first, you go under five, which is for a lot of triathletes out there, like a lifelong goal. And you did that on your first outing. I attribute it to bad lungs that were killed by smoking that suddenly got cleaned out by <laughs> athleticism. Uh, I don't recommend it as a life path, but it worked for me. That doesn't help to have some good genetics. And it sounds like running that fast marathon and going under five, I mean... People can train all they want, but there's there's certain limitations, and you started off. So from a sprint to the Stony Plain, yep. going 459, which would have been what year? 95. So what kind of bike were you riding at this time? I was riding a Pinarello. I can't even remember the model. I bought it at Soma Cycle. It was a bit too large for me, which... I regret now because a bit large and you're a tall guy as it is I'm six foot two and change and they sold me I think it was a 60 or 62 which I then later put clip-on aero bars on and I was just too stretched out and eventually it kind of ratched my bike mm -hmm. and that's what led me to buy my beloved still owned soft ride yes. power wing mm -hmm. so um, yeah that that was the bike at that time and I think I rode stony plane just with aero bars and nothing else the first year 
I was on the waiting list for Iron Man in 95. I trained enough to do it because mm -hmm. Iron Man actually had a waiting list at that time. Mm. And then 96, I got in. Mm -hmm. And then I did five years straight through to 2000. Mm -hmm. So from that first five-year run at Iron Man, any... I mean, the first one's got to be special. Tell us a little bit about that day. It was really cool because I was so apprehensive about the swim. And I think I swam 105 or just under 104. Now, now, does, did Torrington have a pool? Were you a no, member no, of the... <laughs> Torrington, we had to drive... We had to drive uh, 20 miles almost to Three Hills or Troshu to get to a pool. Mm. So all I had was the occasional swim lesson as a kid. I really didn't start swimming till after I stopped smoking, joined the Y, and began training for triathlon. I was actually afraid of the deep end of the pool. Think mm. about that when you're thinking about me in whatever, 300 feet of water. And <laughs> at, at mile six and seven, yeah. Okay, so first Ironman, sorry. So first Ironman, the, most me the, the swim I was very intimidated by once I was done the swim, I thought, you know, I might have this, but I can't count it till I've got the bike. And I, the, I did the bike, and I don't really remember a lot about the bike. I was just kind of spinning my gears and holding back and so on and so forth. But I followed all the instructions I'd ever read. So I put painter tape on everything I had with my race number on it. So I ran down Skaha Lake, the east side road. I'm coming back on east side road. I'm at about kilometer 17 this piece of tape on the road my mind said that's my tape and i couldn't know that i stopped i picked it up and there's my damn race number and i thought you know what wow this is telling me i'm on the right path mm. so basically no it would have been not kilometer 17 it would have been about kilometer 30 mile 17 sorry so ever since then mm -hmm. on the ironman race course the other nine times so far that i've done it uh -huh. i always kind of get choked up there well that's a... i know i will finish I don't know how fast I'll finish, yeah. but I know I'm going to finish. Yeah, you're coming home in that piece of pavement that's been the Kind of the memory spot, yeah. So many stories for so many people, yeah. both good and bad, and that's just kind of like a, yeah. a happy spot for you because it was the start of something, uh, a long-term relationship with the Ironman. <laughs> Same for everyone. You Absolutely. Spend, you, you spend your entire year training for Ironman, and you burn it at the altar of Ironman yeah. on race, starting on race morning, and yeah. poof. There's your year. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Yeah, we can uh, all identify with that. So in all of your years of doing the Ironman, the um, fastest time, your best... 10, well, well 10, put it this 39, way. 1039 well, and 2000. Let's split these two together. Uh, apart from your first Ironman race, which is, of course, really special, what would you say was your best race? Not, not necessarily the one you placed you know, the highest oh, in or what the fastest, but... because there are whatever, 220 or 250 people in the medical tent. Even Paula Newby Fraser, who was a heat queen at that time, struggled on that day. I think I went 11 hours and 44 seconds, but I was 167th overall. It was the first time I qualified for Kona. Oh, wow. I didn't take it because I didn't even know, I didn't even expect. So a buddy of mine was out in Penticton. We went for breakfast, and then someone <laughs> I knew from Three Hills, yeah. who was kind of the swimming instructor, comes up and he said, Pat, Pat, you missed your qualification for Kona. Uh. I'm like, well, whatever. Mm. I didn't know. And besides which, I only had two weeks holidays a year and I burnt up just like everything else in my years. Most of that in Penticton uh -huh. for Ironman. Mm -hmm. So I qualified again in 99 and missed by a few minutes in 2000. Mm -hmm. So the so fastest time was? 1039. 1039. I believe my marathon was 339 or 340, which is probably the second proudest run I've ever had. What was your proudest? Uh, that was, I think it was 
crap. 2001 Stony Plain Half Ironman, and I know I ran 129, I can't remember how many mm. seconds, and I had gas in the tank. I mm. could have cracked 128 or one, into the 127s, oh. which would have been one of my fastest half marathons ever after the swim and off the bike. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really proud of that race. I think my race time was 4.34 or 4.37. Uh, none of us like you anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> But we're all older now, and that's okay. Yeah couple of years off to go back to school back and to school. experiment and try different things in your life yeah look after my dad in hospital mm -hmm. move my folks off the farm into town like just a lot of stuff through that period and then my next Ironman was 2005 and I can't even remember those times 2005 2006 2007 2010 and 2011 I know they were all in the 12 our range mm -hmm. some years better than others i think there might have been 113 and change there but they were all in, mostly in the 12 somewhere mm -hmm. so starting from a sprint moving to the half doing a a ton of Ironman races in the 2000s. And every Ironman year had a stony plane and every so that, that was your basic uh that was my warm-up formula half marathon yeah. stony plane Ironman maybe the uh, Lake Chaparral sprint a mm -hmm. few years in early August. Sometimes mm -hmm. yes, sometimes no. Why didn't you deviate? Why didn't you like take off and do a race in BC or maybe in Saskatchewan? I didn't have any holidays. I only had two weeks holidays. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like taking all my holidays because I always knew there were going to be events at the farm or with my folks okay. because they were elderly that would require my time. So I always held back on taking holidays for me, mm. just like spending money. You don't spend all your money. You keep some in the, in the yeah. savings account. So I had a savings account of holidays, holidays. for my folks. Mm -hmm. So two weeks of holidays makes you a frugal racer. Yes. So you had the formula and it was working for you. Yes, it was. So then you decide on one crazy day in August to uh, to sign up for this Skaha Lake Ultra Swim. And that was with someone you know very well. Yeah. Your wife and I were having, well, we were all having a few beers together. <laughs> Another Penticton story. kind of cheers your wife. She was telling <laughs> me about, she was kind of telling me about kayaking for a racer and I kind of was interested and she was talking about it more and I think I went you know she really wants to do this what the hell no she didn't asking you questions and then you <laughs> said fine let's do it yeah because I was saying what difference would it be to be in a bathing suit or a wetsuit and you're doing all these calculations in your mind and then it's like okay what's the difference between a good wetsuit and a cheap wetsuit and you're Not doing all these calculations much. and then you said okay let's do it and I yep. thought oh okay I guess and, then <laughs> and, they... and so we decided to do it Shook hands, kind Cheers. of a barbet, and uh, months of training. Tell us about some of the, the training that you were doing for the event. Well, well, I was just about to say we were in the Tin Whistle Brewery, and then we did uh, what I call the done, the done deal over coconut beer. Which there is a photo of, too. Yes, and there's a photo. Done deal over coconut beer, yep. right? Yeah. So training stories. Um, what was the longest you had swum previous to the ultra swim um, in in your former life as Ironman guy? Uh, maybe four point one kilometers, mm -hmm. like barely over four. Mm -hmm. So training started the day you signed up for the race. It really started in earnest, probably February two thousand nineteen, mm -hmm. where I really started swimming at the pool. 
because basically I hate the pool. I hate being restrained. I hate small spaces. I really don't like multi-loop courses, which is why I love Ironman Canada so much. And I'm so happy it's back in 2020 and mostly it's old form because it's one loop. It's me against the world. It's not me against this hamster treadmill. <laughs> so swimming pools feel to me like hamster treadmill. So the longest I've swum in a pool in preparation for this race is around 5K a couple of times maybe. Mm -hmm. Most of my swimming has been in, the, in Lake Okanagan peach to the sycamus and back multiple multiple laps and by my rough estimation my longest swim there was 10 kilometers 10 kilometers i've done eight kilometers there twice once down lake skaha to ponderosa point and that's been my training so in any long distance event especially one that involves you know major distances i mean this is not a long distance this is an ultra event like there must have been some setbacks along the way between when you signed up and race day so tell us about some of those i had some back problems through january february and march uh where i had to get a lot of chiropractic and uh graston technique done what's that uh it's where they kind of use a kind of a weird looking curved scraping stainless steel scraping tool and they rub the muscles with oil on them they kind of scrape the junk out and massage at the same time painful it can be mm. if he puts enough pressure on absolutely but yeah. my guy's pretty good so some yeah. you know we kind of have an agreement on how hard he's allowed to hurt me <laughs> what's your safe word pat <laughs> no 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 no, no. <laughs> Yowch! <laughs> yeah so i had that and then in early july i slipped on the stairs in my uh two-story home on my way downstairs to the bathroom early in the morning and fell down five of the stairs and jammed my right foot Ow. into the into the landing and turned three of my toes purple and broke my small toe. Mm -hmm. So that set you back for a little bit, but yeah. Mm -hmm. As you got closer and closer to the race day, did you have any? I mean, doing this for the first time, were there any specific goals? Mainly, I was hoping to finish with dignity and finish under time. I had the small hope that maybe. I'd finish around five and a half hours, but that was kind of like this little 5% hope. In the mm, yeah, we all have mind. those little right. things and if the rest all of it was just out. finish with dignity in mm -hmm. under hours. Mm -hmm. So the date of the interview right now, we're talking to you on uh, Monday. It's August the 12th, and the race, of course, was yesterday. So take us through, if you can, how that day went for you. It was uh, not too bad weather-wise. We woke up to... You know, kind of cloudy, kind of half sunny skies and about, what, 14 degrees or so? Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. Then you get on the beach. Yeah, and there's lots of people lined up on the beach. We positioned our kayaks and the kayaker. Kayakers were great. I was just trying to be super calm and try and envision it as another training day so as not to make myself intimidated. And then just planning on starting very gently, low heart rate, because I knew my heart rate would go up and just maybe hopefully accelerate a bit later in the race course. Well, what was in your uh, eat bag? What did you have to eat and drink during this uh, thing? Gatorade with some uh, vitamin C lysine powder in it just to make it a bit tart. And I had F2C with the same product in it. One bottle of water as a moderator just in case couple of protein bars and that was it okay so you launched you're into the race tell us about some of the adventures you had between oh the start God. line and the finish line the first i can't remember hour roughly 
as I've learned later, I thought it was longer, was very smooth, very calm, just progressing down the lake. Then the wind came up out of the south and there was a lot of chop. And at times it was quite difficult to breathe. I noticed that my heart rate, if my watch is right, spiked to the highest I've ever seen in my life, which at 58 is a very high number, 209. 209, wow. And uh, the rest of the time, my average heart rate was 130, which is kind of what I was planning on with, I think the next highest was 154. So very acceptable in that regard. Mm. At some point, I knocked the cork out of my paddler's kayak and she started swamping with water because of the chop at about six kilometers, five and a half kilometers, roughly. It tipped over on her. Fortunately, the, um, the medical boat was very close. I think it was partly because they were talking to her or trying to talk to her that she tipped over, actually. Mm. So they told me to just go. <laughs> and I went for, by her estimate, about another 40 minutes with no nutrition. No guide, while, just, while they, swimming just into... own, swimming into the chop on <laughs> my own, trying to sight on my own mm-hmm. with my wetsuit, as I found out from my paddler Rio later, bleeding. Mm. So that accentuated that because I had to lift my head so much rather than roll my body. So I just kept on trucking down the lake while Rio got the kayak drained. They made an emergency plug for the kayak, got her back in the lake, retrieved the bottles except for one and and got her back up to me. So not too bad of a shipwreck. And thankfully the the crew was there to to help out Rio. And and once again, Rio was back on track with you. So you had uh, somebody to to guide you toward the finish line. Yeah, and, and, and Rio was so calm through that time. It was awesome. So, yeah, I, I, and then towards Ponderosa Point, which is the 8K cutoff time. Which I, was four hours, 25 minutes. minutes. Yeah. I was quite a bit shy of that time, and the boat came up to me and said, well, we either have to pull you or we can move you up to the next swimmer. And they estimated, they said, you know what, we'll move you up one kilometer exactly. Uh-huh. And you can stay in the event. You won't get an official time per se, but we'll let you finish. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I want to keep swimming. Absolutely. So they said, great. So they were so gracious, so kind, loaded us up into their boat, took us up one kilometer, stopped. I jumped in the water, just began swimming. It took a few minutes to get Rio back in the water. So again, I was swimming unguided. Mm -hmm. And How was, did it feel to be back in the water and swimming after? It felt good because I'd had a break. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, a little bit odd that you don't have your guide there because by mm. that time you're very used to them. But anyways, I just started swimming. Rio caught up with me, and mm. then I finished the race. Although I was very, very tired by the end. Oh, absolutely fatigued. So another bit of a backstory with Pat is uh, how long ago was that that you uh, suffered your stroke? Uh, be August eleventh, two thousand and sixteen. So a bit over two and a half, almost two and three quarter years ago. So at the finish line, we were talking with uh, one of the race organizers, Matt Hill, and he was listening to Pat's story, and he was amazed that Pat was able to persevere. I mean, and, and that did affect your stroke. Yeah, even the medical person on the boat noticed that my right arm was working very funny. So I had a left-affecting ischemic stroke, and I was in hospital for a week. My, I was completely paralyzed on my right side for most of three days. And I left the hospital in a wheelchair using a cane, and my wife's helped to get into the car to go home. Tough so, days. Oh, God. It just, you know, when I think back, so tough. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you think about it. You look at your hand. You want it to move. And my swim stroke, you know, you can watch the bubbles coming off your hand. And I can want the bubbles to be a certain way. I can want my hand to move a certain way. 
but maybe one stroke in five it does that another stroke it, it's muscle strength and brain body connection uh-huh. it's constantly getting better and if there's anyone in this to this podcast who's listening that has a, had a stroke or has a family member that's had a stroke i want you to understand the hospitals are wrong healing doesn't end at three months or six months or a year it's a progression for the rest of your life if you're determined to make it so. So it's not just accepting the doctor's advice never, at face value. Never, ever accept doctors. And, 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 and accept research. their limitations, right? And don't always accept their medication profiles either because the statins they prescribe, they gave me such muscle pain I couldn't even run. And when I went to the stroke program for my final checkout appointment when they discharged me in early 2018... The doctor actually let me off the statins. He said, Pat, you're better off being able to run and be fit statistically than you are to be on the statins for the small reduction in increase of likelihood of a stroke later in life. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, people just keep in mind you have to be your own best doctor and and your own best advocate i yes. mean everybody has their own you know agenda and specialty and you know what they want to see people do and achieve on their terms and at yeah. the end of the day it's just you i don't want to say against the world but it's you have to take care of you yes yeah and a strong family advocate helps as well absolutely sander was very very good through mm-hmm. that time Let's uh, talk about the end of the race. You, you made it. You finished it. What hurts? Uh, me when I shoulder checked to the <laughs> right on my way to Starbucks for coffee. Me changing shirts, moving oh, my right yeah. arm up. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I just felt very fatigued. Not tired. I, I think of fatigue as a more low-level experience. Like yeah. Tired is very specific in my mind. Mm-hmm. Fatigue is just very general. Mm. But right now, it's all good. Uh-huh. I'm not ready to hit my wetsuit again. I don't want to see the inside of that for a week or two. How's the back of your neck doing? I heard some seagulls on Skaha Lake were circling you and trying to pick away at it. Oh, there's some pretty ugliness. <laughs> so tell us uh, what's next in uh, the world of Pat Landamore when it comes to athletics. Uh, Ironman 2020, here mm-hmm. I come. Yeah, I think you uh, were, what, person number six or something? I think it was about person number 25. Oh, okay. <laughs> somewhere in there. So, yes, Ironman 2020 for sure. Whatever speed I finish it at, I'm happy for. Yeah. Don't know about doing Stony Plain. It's a multi-loop race now. It's like, uh-huh. um, probably police half marathon. Yeah. Kind of return to my usual roots. Yeah. We're going to have to see you out in, in Victoria or Oliver now that you're, uh, oh. I guess we could call you somewhat retired. Yeah, more, yeah. more retired than not. Uh-huh. Lots of racing opportunities in BC in the early summer would get those miles in as well. It would. Um, before we let you go, Pat, our standard Fitspeak question, if you've heard the podcast before, and I know you have, um, you've probably been prepping for this one. So if you could be an animal other than a human being, what animal would you be, and tell us why? A hawk. A hawk. And the gliding freedom. The okay. ability to climb high, ride thermals, <laughs> super good vision, which I don't have. <laughs> don't know about eating mice and voles and stuff. <laughs> That'd get a little pretty quick. <laughs> but yeah, just the, the miracle of flight <laughs> and the freedom of flight. Well, thank you so much for your time, Pat. Congratulations on your big day yesterday and uh, best of success in your future athletic pursuits. Thanks, Kevin. Why go for a run when you can go for a Big Mac? Why lift weights when you can hoist pints of beer? 
Why go swimming in a lake when you can watch Shark Week on television? I'm Kevin Hines, and this is another edition of Fitspeaks Fit Flops, a look at the health and fitness industry gone all wrong. On our previous episodes, we examined the silliness of the sweatsuit and the thigh master. Today, we turn up our stupid scale to 11 to let you know about the ultimate in laziness, a product called Exercise in a Bottle. We're crediting the Dr. Gabe Merkin website for this one. Once upon a time, in a land far away, people were getting fat. Okay, I'll come clean. I'm talking about the United States just a few years ago. But what is an American overweight person to do when they look in the mirror and they don't like what they see? Well, take a pill, of course, but it needs to be the right pill. And that's why the exercise in a bottle pill was born in a sea of medical quackery and deceptive marketing. Hell, the company even hired legendary baseball pitcher Steve Garvey of the Los Angeles Dodgers to be the spokesperson. Garvey, a major league MVP back in the 1970s, was selling the product, saying the pill would, and I quote, look at all these delicious forbidden foods like barbecued chicken and ribs and buttered biscuits. These are foods you can eat when you crave them without guilt, without worry, and it's all because of a few little capsules. Well, the pharmaceutical reasoning for the effectiveness of these miracle pills isn't worth repeating because it was all bogus. But what was true was the $10 million fine that the company that made the pills had to pay for these misleading statements in the advertising for exercise in a bottle. Is there a lesson to be learned from the exercise in a bottle story? Well, for the Fitspeak listener, a person who craves physical exercise and healthy food, at least most of the time, probably not. But we all know of somebody, whether that's at work or maybe a family member who's trying to find that easy way to losing weight. Maybe when you're with them, you can casually mention the story of exercise in a bottle, let them Google it, and then draw their own conclusions. Hopefully it leads them to the produce aisle or the running room and not the channel changer. For the Fit Flop of the Week, I'm Kevin Hines. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission, Your Wenting's Word of the Week is sweat. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is sweat. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Whether your goals are iron, golden, or ultra, our low client-to-coach ratio ensures you get the one-on-one time you deserve to achieve your potential. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See the link at the bottom of this page to book your free consultation and goal-setting session. We'd like to thank our guest this week, first-time Skaha Lake ultra swimmer Pat Landamore. Be listening next time when we'll have Kevin Watt back for more social media shout-outs. And Zach Neufeld will be here for more brain food for you on Between the Ears. For all of us at FitSpeak, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.